Good morning. <clears throat> well, hopefully my voice will hold out. We will see. As I get raspier and raspier this morning, hopefully I will not cough too many times. But uh, <clears throat> let's, let's open in prayer this morning. Father, we worship you and we praise you and we love you. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Thank you, God, that you include us and use us. And by us, I mean humankind in everything that you do. Because your design was intimacy between us and you. No matter what was thwarted, At the beginning, it will be made whole in the end. Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for calling us to live at the time in which we live. To be able to see things that were only a promise before. God, thank you. You are, you are awesome. You're great. Your name is to be praised. You deserve it. And not just here, not just in your church, but all over the world. The enemy who is fought so hard for millennia for that same worship. It's not deserving of it. You deserve to have back that which was not only taken from you, But it was for the sake of love that you even gave that opportunity. So, Father, we bring it back to you in love. In relationship with you, we offer our hearts. We offer everything. Because it was never ours to begin with. It's only you. Lord, I pray that you fill my mouth with your Holy Spirit. I plead the blood of your Son, Jesus, that each of us have ears to hear and eyes to see. A discernment to understand what it is that you are saying, what it is that you are doing. I'm excited about it. I'm thankful for it. I just pray that your will be done. Speak through me according to your will. It is not my desire to have anything of myself come out this morning. But only you. We worship you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. So, if you have not had a chance, if you weren't here last week and did not have a chance to listen, I really encourage you, listen. If you were here last week and heard, and that was all you heard, I encourage you, go back and listen. Listen to it several times. As Rich said, he, he said, I, I'm, I'm through it two times now, and working on my third, and man, I just need to keep going in this. You have to understand what God is doing. He's laying it out for each of us. And there's a reason for that. Not simply, be because, not simply because He loves us and wants us to know what's going on, but it's because you're called. You're called for a purpose. When he builds an army, think about it this way, when, when somebody builds an army, do they not equip that army? Part of that equipping is intel, intelligence. Understanding the enemy, understanding what the enemy does, and understanding how to react to what the enemy does. Right? That is the equipping He is equipping us as an army to do one thing. Bring his kingdom here. If you're waiting for the rapture, God, just please hurry up and come. You are missing everything. You're missing everything that he wants you to see. And you're missing that equipping that he is trying to give you for this time. Not that we don't want to see him. Oh, goodness. I can't wait for 1 Corinthians 13 when we see him face to face. Can't wait. But his kingdom is to be made manifest here through his bride to fulfill the original calling that was given to mankind through Adam and Eve. When you think about it that way, that's pretty ominous. It's like, wow. You know, I never thought that way growing up. You know, I've known my whole life how amazing God is. I, I was saved at nine But early on, even though I didn't understand it, began building a relationship with him because I just loved him. And oftentimes that love came out in just the weirdest ways. Right? Growing up in, in high school, I went to a very legalistic high school. And so the only way I knew how was to go around people's houses, knock them, knock on their door, ask them if they knew Jesus and When they said no, I told them they were going to hell. See, you've got to understand, my heart was in the right place for that. I wasn't trying to tell them to go to hell. I just loved God. I didn't know how else to express it. When you build relationship with Him, He teaches you how to express it. And he puts you in circles to reach people that nobody else can. 
So see, it's important to understand the times in which we live. Because you have a calling. You have a responsibility in that. Not just a responsibility on a Sunday morning, but a responsibility between the Sundays. You have a responsibility to, to each other. Look, look to your neighbor. Just look around. Try to look without laughing. Kidding. You have a responsibility to each other. When God builds up an army, He doesn't build an army that is to scatter. He builds an army that is to be unified. And this morning's going to be a little bit different. When the Lord first told me at the beginning of worship what to do this morning, I started not questioning him in my mind, but questioning in my understanding correctly. And thank you, Wendy, for coming and praying over me. She had no idea. We're only going to be online for a few more minutes. And then we're stopping the online. Because God has something for you guys right here, sitting right here. And... He didn't want it online. Go figure. Not sure. But there's a reason for it. I do want to say this. Unity is not just being unified to God. It's being unified together. I want to read something to you that the Lord said to a group of us A little over three years ago, it was March. It was before the whole COVID. It was right as, I think think it was maybe a week before something that COVID actually hit. And became, you know, all the shutdowns happened and everything else. We were talking to him about things that were coming because he had told us that was coming. But then I want to read something that he said that he brought to my memory this morning during, during worship. I looked it up just during worship. And this is in, regard, in regards to the testing that was coming. The Father said, My Spirit, the Holy Spirit, My Spirit binds men. You have been tested in this already, but here is a final exam. Will you come together? Is your unity merely proximity? We will see who is committed to me. We will see which are committed to each other. I already know. See, because as we've talked about the past few weeks, unity is what Satan fears. Unity together. Think about it. Unity is what every politician fears and hopes for. (laughs) Because when a group is unified, the strength of the one is now exponential. 
And then the more unified they are, the more of a voice God brings. Satan has used this throughout millennia. He knew early on. That's why from the very beginning he got agreement with Eve. Knowing full well that he'd have to go after Adam, but he got agreement with Eve. Because when they were in unity, it was a lot more difficult for Adam. Right? So Satan's used that from the very beginning. But Satan did not invent unity. Much like everything else, is the heat on? Seriously? Is the heat on? I am feeling heat. Are you guys not feeling heat? Is that thing on? Yeah, check, check that and see, because, I mean, if it's Holy Spirit, go for it. But if it's that heater up there, then it needs to shut off. <laughs> I just get this blast of hot air. Good night. Was it on? Yeah, okay. Yeah, we need to just dismantle that until maybe October. Um, but Satan did not invent anything. He uses what God created, and then he uses it for his own good. How much more effective and powerful will unity be in the hands of God and his children? So much more. But see, it's not just unity with God. He said that very clearly. He said it in his word. He said it in that word I just read to you. It is unity together. Our focus together. That's what Satan's afraid of. So before we go offline, I do want to share something. Again, what happened last week was something that The world, if you will, has been waiting for for almost 6,000 years. It was the binding of Lucifer. He was caged. He is being toured. I have no idea how long that tour is or anything else. But he is the head that has now been cut off. I want to be clear, though, to those of you here and those of you online. That does not mean that the enemy is gone. In fact, it means the opposite. What happens when you corner a stray dog and it has nowhere else to go? You bet. It becomes vicious. There are things that it becomes in power that is actually stronger than before because it's exerting that power. The thing is, it's unorganized. It's not focused. It does not have the effectiveness that a deliberate act would have. That's where the enemy is right now. There is fear even now being poured into the enemy's psyche that will cause him to act like a cornered dog. 
So don't think that the warfare is going to go away. If anything, recognize it's going to step up. But, and here's the good part, an enemy who is unorganized is extremely vulnerable. This enemy that has had the head cut off is no longer being tempered by that head. That's why things will get chaotic. Because if you know anything about the enemy or you know anything about Satanism, even even in satanic covens and everything else, <laughs> their unity only goes so deep. Their unity is as deep as agreement. That's it. Their unity is not based on love. They don't even understand love. Their unity is based on what they could get. If you know anything about Satanism, as I said, you know that one of the biggest things about a satanic coven is that they're competitive. They're extremely competitive. They would take each other's life if it meant moving them ahead. But unity comes because there's power in unity. So now that the head has been cut off, the temperance of giving organization to the enemy is gone. There is nothing to hold back that competition placed with fear. So that's why I'm saying don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. I think I said it last week. Things are going to ramp up. Things are going to get crazy. We're going to see it in our government. We're going to see it all over the world, more than we have now. And, I mean, look back on it now, and it, that's pretty wild. You know, if, if we had seen things now the way we see them, or seen things when I was a kid the way they are now, well, something probably would have been done about it. Now you see things, evidence is out there, and they don't care. It doesn't matter because the only truth is what you say into that microphone. That's what Biden thinks, or fake Biden, or whatever he is. That's what he thinks. That It started with Barack Obama. I, I remember. It started with Barack Obama. I remember him getting out there and saying these things, and I'm, I'm like, man, that is just not even true. And everybody just, oh, let's just soak it in. Soak it in because he knows what he's talking about. The world has been made to believe a lie. But the separation is that God's children are shown the truth. And that truth is being revealed. So let's go ahead and go offline. I do want to encourage you guys um, next week. We'll see you back, but, but, see ya. <laughs> Let me know when we're off. Okay. Now, <clears throat> just so you guys know, it, it is for the people here.
although I did tell them to keep the recording going because I think there might be some, some things, information given that you want to go back and, and you know, re-listen to. It will only be available on the podcast. That's it. It won't be available anywhere else, um, you know, which the podcast is, is on our website. Um, but I did want to mention that. I want to tell you guys a little bit of information as to what's going on. One week before last week, or I'm sorry, not last week, but the, the date that last week, that week I, I read that court case of, of Lucifer in the courts. The day that actually happened was May 11th, a Thursday night. One week before that, something happened that really confused me. I mean, it didn't confuse me that it was happening. What confused me is I really thought so much more was going to happen with it. But then I have since come to understand it, and I want to share it with you because this is a big deal. What happened with Lucifer on the 11th is part of it. But the week before, the Lord had us go to court, and he had me declare war in heaven. At the time, what I thought that meant was that all the courts are shut down to the enemy. The accuser is no longer allowed to even show up. And I thought it would be immediate. And, and so when that did not happen in, in court, it kind of threw me a little bit. But I did have some conversations with the Lord about that. I want to read it to you. Because I think, overall, it's going to really encourage you. So war was declared. That would have been the 4th of May. I said, Father, can you help me to understand? And this this was after the court case when I was just a little bit confused. Because, again, I expected, you know, balloons to drop, confetti to shoot out, and, you know, all this good stuff. And we, we all got to just watch... All of them be cast down, and that didn't happen. said, Father, can you help me to understand? What I thought I was understanding doesn't seem to be what happened. Can you help me to understand this? Father said, there is a process in removing him from the courts. Now, by the way, let me explain what he means by him. He's not talking about just Lucifer. If you look throughout the Word of God, it talks about... And, and I've said this before, it, it uses Satan as a proper noun, which it is not. Um, it is technically the Satan. It can be any under him, any of his followers, any of the fallen ones, any of his Nephilim. It could be any of those demonic spirits are all considered the Satan. Okay, do you understand what I mean by that? So so when it says that that... In Revelation 12, when it says that Satan is our adversary, that he speaks day and night, you know, accusing us. He is the accuser. It is not talking about Lucifer only is the one in the court speaking about each one of us individually. First of all, that wouldn't even be possible. He is not omnipresent. He cannot be everywhere at once. 
Um, he is one entity, just as we are. What it is talking about there is all who are under him have that access. So, um, and, and it, 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 I won't go back and read you the court and stuff, but, it, but it's been established very heavily in court that anything under him that is said is ultimately his. All of his children, all those who worship him, everyone else, everything they do is for the sake of Lucifer, the dragon. Okay? So, so again, um, to say that Satan is caged does not mean that there were not others that could come to that courtroom. So I knew the Lord had told me to, to declare war in heaven and so, but, but yet I knew his court case was coming up. I knew, I knew Satan was not going to be, I, I knew he was going to be caged. I knew he was going to be toured. Um, I knew ultimately he's going to end up in heaven. What I was thinking is that immediately all of his group, if you will, would have no access to the courts. So, again, the Lord said, the Father said, there's a process in removing him from the courts or his, his followers, whatever you want to call them. I said, okay, is the process what I'm thinking? Father said, it's not time. I'm always thinking of the, the finality, the conclusion of it. I said, so Father, help us to understand the war that was declared today, what does that mean in conjunction with the fact that we would not be in court, in the court of accusations with an adversary anymore? Can you help me to understand that? Now let me explain something here real quick for those of you who don't know. There are courts in heaven. There are different courts. In fact, there is a particular court that every single one of you has been in and probably goes in often. That is the court of, for lack of a better term, we call it the court of accusations. I'm not saying that's its name. I'm saying that's what we call it. That is the court being referred to in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, where he accuses day and night. He accuses us individually. When you go before the Lord and you ask forgiveness, okay, let, let's say that you know, you, you did something wrong and, and you realize that and, and you feel bad and you go before the Lord for forgiveness. You are before that court. That is the court of accusation. That is where at least two witnesses are required. And since Jesus died on the cross, you have two. Because Jesus is there as your advocate and you are there so that's the two that the law required. There could be more, certainly, but you have those two. So you go to the court every time you ask forgiveness. You are in this court of accusation. That's the court I'm talking about. Because in that court, we're the defense. In that court, we are facing an accuser. Okay? It's different than when I talk about the court of nations. The court of nations is very different. Don't get the two confused. So again, this process that I'm talking about, about these, these courts 
the enemy being cast out of these courts is speaking specifically about the court of accusation. I said, so Father, help us to understand. The war that was declared today, what does that mean in conjunction with the fact that we would not be in the court of accusations with an adversary anymore? Which is something the Lord had laid on my heart and I had talked to him about maybe the previous week. I said, can you help me understand that? He said, declaring war against him in conflict as... Oh, sorry. Declaring war renders him in conflict as being an adversary. He cannot prosecute in a fair manner after a declaration of war. I said, so it's likely he still has access to the court of accusation at this point, but he gets maybe beat up on the way in, or he's fighting the whole time. What does the war look like? You know, I'm picturing in my mind, you know, these big angels standing by the door. Yeah, come on, on you know, bum, 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 and then he goes inside. I, you know, I don't know. The Lord said, there are some cases he will not have access to at all. I said, did I do and say everything you wanted me to? He said, yes. His membership as a prosecutor has been downgraded. I said, so that means not just him, but everybody under him, correct? He said, yes, they all operate under him. So it's kind of like, um, you know, you, you, have, you have a a prosecuting attorney who has a whole staff of people, they, they may get up, they may speak, they may do this, do that, but it, it is all under that one name, and that's what it is under Lucifer. I said, what kind of blow does this really deliver to him at this point? Father said, imagine having information that can turn a case, but you cannot attend. That's a big deal. If, if I have something against somebody and I can't get in that courtroom, it's like it was never there. Was he surprised at today's proclamation or was he expecting it? Father said he expected it. Which that threw me a little bit. But I said, can you tell me what his demeanor is? And this was all before what happened on the 11th, obviously. Father said he is terrified that at any moment creation will awaken. I said, does he have any hold at all over creation? And the father said he has no authority, but he has a relationship with specific locations. And I know that went into another thought. I want to go back to the original thought because it, I, I had to throw in that creation thing because you guys are going to, you're going to see creation rise. We're about to see it. Prophets have been speaking about it for a while. You know, what does it look like when creation rises? Well, I mean, the easy ones are to think of what literally happens in Revelation when, when, at the, the half-year point of the tribulation, Satan literally possesses the Antichrist and then goes after Israel. 
And what happens? Israel runs to Petra. They hide. And what comes and saves them? Creation. All of the sudden, this this water that's coming to envelop them, to destroy them, the earth opens up and swallows it. Creation fights back. Right? You're, you're, you're about to see creation as they start to recognize the sons of God. Creation will fight back. You know, it's, it's easy to think of the big things. You know, to think of a hurricane or, or a tornado and, you know, these things coming and doing stuff. But how about the small things? How, how, about, how about somebody who is a Christian who loves the Lord and following God and, and they're walking downtown New York City and these guys come up to mug them? Then all of a sudden, 20 cats just attack these guys. You know, I don't know. I mean, think of it in terms of if you were creation and all this had been taken away from you with none of your doing whatsoever. And you start to realize that, okay, it's time. God's going to fix all this. You'd get involved. God's called for creation to get involved. I will say I had a vision of that. Not, not the little cats. I, I'm not a big cat fan. But, but I did have that vision in Nigeria. That that happened. And all of a sudden these lions show up. If you know anything about Nigeria, Nigeria has not had lions for decades. Because they, they had all been hunted and poached and whatever. They have them up in the mountains where, where our ranch is, but like nowhere near where we are. And you might see one if there's a zoo there, but no different than in the U.S. You don't have them running around. And in this vision, they just appeared. And they fought. And they were no joke. Creation is about to do that. But I want to go back. I want to understand what this means now. Okay, as an army rising up, as a group. Again, I encourage you to go back through last week. Because what does it mean? What does it mean to infuse the chaos into the enemy? It doesn't mean that we retreat. In fact, what happens when you have a dehabilitating advance against your enemy and they have catastrophic loss. What do you do? Ah, Okay, they've had enough. We'll let them go ahead and regroup, you know, take a breath. No. You go after them. You go after them. And that's what we will do. That's what God is having us do. That is what we will do as a unified team, but that is what we will do individually. To do that, your perspective has to be on that offense. Because we do get hit. That's the part that stinks. You know, the Lord had me in the book of Job all day yesterday. Wanted to point out some things to me. And, and 
In, in fact, let's turn there. Let's turn to Job chapter 1. And, and by the way, you can look at this and think, wow, God really threw him under the bus. Because he did. He, he really did. He really did. You know, let's just start. Verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. Now, by the way, I want to I give this setting here real quick. We don't know when Job was in history. We have some ideas. I, I think you could say um, uh, most definitely he was post-flood. Most definitely. Um, but he was... Prior to the Abrahamic covenant, he was not a Jew. Um, If he was a Jew, he was a really, really bad Jew, according to the law, because he performed his own sacrifices. Um, and, And also, he gave his inheritance to his daughters equally with his sons. And and in the Jewish law, you did not do that. You were forbidden to do that. Um, So he was either prior to Abraham or he was an equal time frame to Abraham. I myself believe that he is pre-Tower of Babel. I'll tell you why, because I believe that what is being described by Behemoth and Leviathan are dinosaurs. I think that's pretty clear. It's not an elephant. It's not a rhinoceros. You know, behemoth isn't because it says his his tail was like a cedar. Yeah, and I don't think an elephant's tail is going to do much to you. So, so picture this being of the time frame after the flood, but before Tower of Babel. And I think that was about a, I want to say a 1,200-year period or something, somewhere in there. But picture picture it in there. There was this man whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen. By the way, this is another example that that he was um, uh, even pre-Babylon, because if you go back to to that age... Of, of the Tower of Babel. Wealth was not figured in goats and sheep and camels and all that stuff. Wealth was figured in gold and silver. Um, so again, another indicator that it was earlier on. 500 female donkeys, very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send an invite and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And this is interesting. He would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offering, offering sacrifices according to the number of them all, all his children. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. So he did this continually. So Job's heart was for his children. 
Now there was a day when the son, sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. I won't get into it, but understand that, that the Lord had a court. And I'm not talking about like a court of, uh, like a legal court at this point. I'm talking about um, uh, a, a conference of advisors, if you will, okay? He, he had this court. In fact, he says later on, uh, Satan, I think I read it a few weeks ago in Isaiah, that Satan used to be part of that court until he fell and, and he, was, he was thrown out. But, but God had this court of advisors that were, um, you know, principalities, whatever. It was set up. Uh, this was part of who, who cheered on the creation, right? But the big pinch was that that's what man was created for, that he would eventually take the spot of that court in terms of that intimacy with the Lord. So those were the sons of God that came and present themselves before the Lord and Satan also, so what it say, and, and by the way, the, the Hebrew there is the Satan, right? It, it's not saying Lucifer there. It is saying one of his kind. So you could say it's Lucifer. It didn't have to be Lucifer. I tend to think it was not, but either way, it all goes back up to him. The Lord said to the Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? A couple things I want to point out here. Was God just throwing him under the bus because he wanted to teach a lesson? Was God throwing him under the bus because he knew billions of people would read about his testimony later and be able to be encouraged by it? Maybe. I mean, I could certainly see that reasoning. But in reality, it wasn't throwing him under the bus at all. He was proud of him. He was proud of him. What do you, when you're proud of your kids, what do you say? Look at them. And live. That's my boy. That's right. Exactly right. He was proud of him. He was proud of Job's choices. Now, later on, Job, if he knew that, could probably say, please stop being proud. You know, he paid a dear price for it. But that's what the Lord, the Lord said. Have you considered Job? Then Satan answered the Lord in this verse 9. Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. A couple things to recognize here. Job was protected. If Satan had access to him before, he just revealed in this statement that he didn't. 
There was a hedge built around Job that Satan could not infiltrate. Why? Because Job, in God's own words, was blameless. Does that mean he was sinless? No. It means his heart wanted God. When, when something would be shown to him, certainly he would then repent. Right? Just as, as we do now. His heart was for God. So there was this hedge built up around him that the adversary himself said, I, I can't penetrate this hedge. I can't even do it. So, so why, you know, why would you think he wouldn't serve you? Nothing bad can happen to him. Lord said, okay. The Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So the Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Satan's pretty basic. He really is. He does the same thing over and over and over again. There are three ways, only three, that he goes after you. That he goes after each of us. And it depends on maybe what's the most effective for him. It might also depend on that hedge. I mean, do you think Job was the only one that through his, his living a life of purity, God did not build, only built a hedge for him? Or do you think God still does that? Sure he does. I know he does. I've lived it. So Satan goes after what he can. His first line of attack is stuff. It's stuff. Now, back then, I don't know, maybe it didn't mean as much as it does now or vice versa. I, I don't know. I know nowadays stuff seems to be really important to people. You know, the nicety of a car, where to live, having food. You know, not just the basics, but even everything else. So, so one of the ways that Satan will attack is he will attack your stuff. Some of this can be trivial. <laughs> I remember, and this was years ago. This is probably four or five years ago. I used to, I, I was at my wit's end with junk falling apart. Specifically a car that I had. Seemed that car would fall apart every other day. And I was just getting tired of it. And, and I, I'm like, you know, I can't get a new car. So wait a second, Lord. Why does he have the right to do this? You know what, God? I am just going to ask you, put a hedge of protection around my car. Put your protection, put your seal to where Satan can't touch it. And Lord didn't give me an answer, but I could tell you the junk stopped. The ridiculous things happening stopped. So that's one way he comes after us. 
Another way, the second way he comes after us was also in that first one. And and we're not going to go down and read through that whole thing. Satan's response. But the second thing is our family. Now, for Job, it was the extreme. Like, he took him out. Man, alive. I I just don't even know. (laughs) I mean... I really want to meet Job, but what in the world do you say to him? I mean, except thank you. Thank you for that lesson that so many of us got to learn from, but how in the world did you live through it? I don't, I don't know. Satan goes after your family, but you know what? He's done that here. He's done that here oftentimes. He knows for me, Well, if he wants to get me pissed off, go after my family. Then I'll be begging God every day. You know, if it's me and I I have, you know, something happened to me, whatever. But man, you go after my family. And, you know, I'll be like that widow with the unjust judge. It's like every day, ten times a day. So he goes after our family, and and everybody in here has experienced that. But then there is a third way. If, If we read on, Job loses his family, loses everything. In fact, I want to read that. I want to read his statement, because this is his testimony. He loses all his children. And, and by the way, the timing of it was insane. It said one right after the other. So it wasn't like, because the Lord did tell us. We asked, I think Brent asked this one time, the whole story of Job. The Lord said it happened over 25 years. But that's the whole story. That's the regeneration. That's, that's the entire story. There was... His suffering for 25 years. 24 years? So he was praying for that 25th year, wasn't he? Oh, man. I mean, think about that. You know, this didn't happen in six months. Anybody can hold on for six months. This happened over a time period that makes you start to think, God left me. And, and that's what you see in the second half of this. But I want to read his response from the first half. After losing his family, after losing all his stuff, says in verse 20 of chapter 1, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. After all that. And, and by the way, it came one right after the other. That's what it said. It said, while the first one was still talking, here comes another. There was no breath. There was no moment. But Job's response was, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with any wrong. Can you say the same? That's what God wants. 
He wants you to recognize the enemy for who the enemy is. And why is he going after your family? Why is he going after people that can get a rise out of you? But there's a third way that he goes after you. And that was after all that. Then you go into chapter 2 where it says, well, yeah, but take away his health and he'll curse you. God said, okay. You could do anything except kill him. After all that happened, now I imagine there was some time between that first one and the second one, because if you read, God, God even says to Satan that, I don't remember the exact wording, but basically, you know, you, you had me test him before, and he came through in flying colors. Testing is not over a single day. That was over years. That was years where he did not turn away from the Lord. So God could show him again the same way he did before because Job's heart was no different. It was for God. And so Satan said, well, yeah, but let me take his health and then you watch. Then you watch. And so so God said, okay, you can't kill him, but take his health. And he did. The only part of his health that, that it says is he had boils all over his body that were so painful and so irritant that he would take broken pieces of pottery and scrape them. I don't know what that would take to do that. But that seems pretty intense to me. Even through that, even through that, Job stayed strong. His only weakness came 